Can anybody juggle? Absolutely. If the person has a little bit of discipline, can stick with it for 20 minutes, I'm pretty sure I can teach them to juggle. Hello, I'm James Stewart, and this is the podcast that's all about Rye, RyeCast. I was scrolling through the Nextdoor app on my phone, and there's a message offering juggling lessons here in Rye. Now, I thought, bang on for the podcast. But little did I know that Graham Ellis, the chap who's offering the lessons, has a real story to tell. He spent decades living off-grid on a volcano in Hawaii, running a circus, before beating a hasty return back to the UK and Rye, thanks to Donald Trump and a cannabis conviction. He's passionate about the environment. So I've come to the Rye Community Garden, just off Love Lane. He's the compost king here. And we're going to talk for this week's RyeCast. Let's go back to your background. You are from England, despite the accent. I'm a Sussex lad, actually, and feel like I belong here, even though my accent might not belong here. How come you ended up in Hawaii? Well, after graduating university, I I went to the States to be a counsellor in a summer camp, a wilderness training camp. One adventure led to another. I hitchhiked through Central America, worked for four years in St. Lucia. It was a teacher and then a principal down there. I made my way up to Canada on a visit and decided to stay a couple of years and then met a woman who lived in Hawaii. And I followed her over there and we didn't stick together that long, but my love was for Hawaii and I stayed there the next 36 years. And you set up a circus? I'd become a juggler. <laughs> Just to say, I became a juggler. How does that happen? I had friends who were jugglers and uh, I went, hmm, can you show me how to do that? And uh, I really took to it. I loved it. I was a natural. Once you're a juggler, you're like a magnet for kids. And I'd ended my teaching career and was very appreciative of an opportunity to find another way to interact with kids. And they just came around and said that same question to me. Yeah, show me how to do that, will you? And so I did. I taught a few kids to juggle and started a juggling club and then a juggling troupe. And then I learned to walk on stilts, ride unicycles and do a bit of acrobatics. And since I'm a teacher, I started teaching the kids that. And before I knew it, I had myself a a circus called the Hiccup Circus. (laughs) What, Big Top, the full works? No Big Top. My circus evolved from being... Uh, me working with a few kids into a community circus, uh, sometimes called a social circus. What happened was that I volunteered to organize a a bit of a juggling festival. Before long, we had jugglers flying in from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the US, and a lot from Europe too. And they were always the top-class jugglers because... They were the ones that could afford to get to Hawaii. So we had a bit of a fraternity between top professional performers because it expanded beyond just jugglers, um, vaudevillians, uh, circus performers of all kinds. After a few festivals, one of them came to me and said, ooh, sure would be nice if we had a home base down here. And 
since I was living in Hawaii, I volunteered to look for a piece of land. And I found a piece, 10 acres of jungle, as it was, uh, quite cheap. And uh, 12 of us agreed to go in on a the project, like a community or collective of jugglers. And 35 years later, it's still there. And the big top that you mentioned turned out to be a wonderful performing arts center where it's the home of a circus. Um, and it all started with one lad from Britain learning to juggle. <laughs> it, it sounds almost ahead of its time. Do you think it was? There were some aspects of what we did there in Hawaii and, and still do that I've been told were ahead of our time. And that is uh, because we bought jungle, it, it had no utilities whatsoever. So I lived off-grid for 30 years. And off-grid, I mean not just electrically or water or sewage systems or even a telephone line, but totally rural, remote location as well, where you need a pickup truck to actually drive in. <laughs> we did well. We were one of the first groups of people to purchase solar panels, and we learned how to collect water off of the roofs of the structures we built. We learned how to grow food and plant fruit trees and uh, how to deal with sewage in a hygienic manner, composting toilets, for example. And a lot of these things today are a lot more common. I mean, even here in Rye, we've got a lot of roofs with racks of solar panels and, and solar water heating systems, which is great for me to see. But um, back then, it was quite rudimentary and hard to access and about five times more expensive in 1988 than it is today to buy a solar panel. Do you think you could live off-grid now? I would love to be living off-grid now. Um, one of the things that people don't realize is that it is a slightly different way of life, but you're not inconvenienced. I had the same kind of facilities that I think you find in regular households, refrigerators and all laptops and a TV and all, all the facilities that make life comfortable for people today. It's not a compromise in quality of life. If anything, it's the reverse because you know that you're helping to be a, a solution to the problems in the world and not adding to them. Well, we'll talk about how you came to, to leave Hawaii in a moment or two. But for the moment, it's a autumnal afternoon we're in the community garden it's gray skies so let's talk about hawaii what's hawaii like well hawaii comprises of uh, a number of different islands and uh, the ones that are most well known and, and feature in the glossy travel magazines oahu maui and Kauai, are not the island that i lived on the island i lived on is called Hawaii, which is a little confusing. It's actually two and a half times bigger than all the other islands together, which meant it was very rural and, and isolated. And um, I lived on the, the flank of uh, the world's most active volcano, Kilauea, which added a lot of excitement to the experience. Was it blowing up all the time? Was it erupting? Since 1983, Kilauea volcano has been active, not erupting every day, 
It was for a few years, and it has done since then. And in 2018, was the biggest flow of all from Kilauea. It destroyed 700 homes. Yeah, it was quite an awesome experience to visit. Uh, Madame Pele is what the Hawaiians refer to as the volcano, to visit the lava flows and, and watch molten rock flowing down the side of a, a mountain. I mean, it's just an awesome, incredible power. And at the same time, it, as creating, it's also destroying. We need to humble ourselves in, in the face of nature. So we've talked about Hawaii, and then after almost 40 years, you had to leave. Yeah, that was traumatic. Well... That part of the story uh, began in the 1980s, having lived in a very different culture in the Caribbean. And then in Hawaii, a similar kind of attitude and behavior in regard to the growing of marijuana, ganja, cannabis, whatever you call it. I mean, it was very much part of the lifestyle in, in those places where I lived. And I must say, I found that it was my particular drug of choice in preference to alcohol. And so I did a very stupid thing. I was coming back to the UK actually to attend a juggling festival and I mailed myself a package of marijuana so that I could use it and share some with friends over here. Lo and behold, there was a mail strike and packages coming from abroad got held up and gave customs and excise time to look through everything and they found my package and I got arrested and I got a conviction for marijuana importation, which was a serious business, but I paid my dues and my sentence was expunged here in the UK and I'm no longer considered a, a nasty criminal. However, the United States immigration policy is somewhat different. They have some rules and regulations regarding anyone that's been arrested, not convicted, but arrested for any drug charges I was fine all the time I lived in Hawaii. I was married to American. I have an American daughter and stepkids and uh, never got in any trouble at all. And all of the presidents, Clinton, the two Bushes, Obama, they all decided that they weren't going to try to deport anyone who was there illegally, which was my case, unless they committed a crime. And I didn't, so I was fine until Trump came along <laughs> and everything changed and he told his immigration authorities to go for the low-hanging fruit and pick anyone they could and deport them. Uh, I had a knock on the door one day and uh, I was home with my wife and we were pretty much traumatized when uh, immigration officials came in and told me that uh, they were taking me away. Uh, I was fortunate in that although I did get detained, I, I hired a lawyer and after five days in detention, not knowing if I'd be flown back to the UK any day, I was given 45 days to pack up everything after 36 years and lo and behold I, I arrived back in the UK much to the pleasure of my mum, who was 86 and missing me greatly. And, and it has been a blessing in that sense that 
my mum, my sisters, who all live near here, and uh, I get to see them a lot more often, and yeah, they're happy to have me back. So some good stuff came out of it, but it must have been stressful. How did it make you feel? There were some good things, as you said, but it was uh, traumatic mostly for my family, because right now I've got stepkids who go back and forth between Hawaii, where their dad lives, and here, where their mum lives with me. It's been terrible for our family, and my wife has to go back to Hawaii because of family reasons. Yeah, it's torn my life apart. I had a career, and and, um, I built two houses, which are over there. And um, here, I am forced to having to rent a place. My life was in turmoil, but I did learn something about possessions and things that are important to you because actually when I flew back, I came here with two suitcases, a roll-on and a backpack. After 36 years, I left, gave away uh, or sold everything I had there, you know, personal things, and it was a lot. And I learned that Really, you don't need that much. Uh, Possessions aren't what we need in this life to uh, be resilient and to live well. What we really need is a group of friends and family. That's the most important thing of all. And I've been fortunate coming to Rye that I've met great people here through the Quakers initially and then the community garden and now different environmental groups and some of the uh, shakers and movers in town. And I love it here in Rye. It's compensated for the community that I left behind. And there's no way you can go back? I have to wait 10 years before I can apply. So 2027, I'll be knocking on the door saying, you know, can I come visit my friends? I, I don't think I'll ever move back to live there. I feel settled in Rye now. And it's just a matter of sorting out our kids Oh, here's home for me. How come you never applied for a green card whilst you were there? Not allowed to when you have a drug conviction. I tried continuously. I hired three different lawyers and tried, but no, they weren't interested. How does it make you feel about America? can't imagine you have a big fan of Trump then. Oh, I mean, it's horrendous to think 74 million people voted for him. Uh, It's sad. I'm just sitting in here in Rye watching the news and waiting for the day when he's taken away in handcuffs and locked up because that would be his just desserts. So you're here in Rye, you're obviously passionate about sustaining the planet. On the the scale of environmental concern, if you've got Extinction Rebellion who are naming themselves tubes in London or just sorting out the recycling out the back, whereabouts are you on that? Well, quite honestly, I feel very passionately about it. I don't know that I would glue myself to an underground train, but I certainly would not hesitate to get arrested in London at a protest, as I believe that that is the most effective way of bringing change. Uh, You've just got to look at civil rights in America, the end of the Vietnam War, the suffragettes here in this country. It isn't ideal, but it is the most effective way of bringing about change. I can't get arrested because if I did, it would impact my ability to return to Hawaii. So I support XR and not all, but a lot of the actions they take. But I'm also here in Rye recycling and um, 
here at the garden, I'm called the, the compost king. <laughs> That's a passion of mine because composting is taking things would otherwise be considered trash or garbage, grass cuttings, horse poop, coffee grinds, dried leaves, all the things that end up making good soil but otherwise would be left to just decompose and used in a practical way. And in my mind, you know, from the days when I lived in the Caribbean where there are no trash heaps, everyone is using everything, living very, very simply and looking at every plastic bag, every tin, every bit of paper as a useful bit of material for something, somehow. We were the same in Hawaii, living in the community. We didn't have a lot of money to build. We used recycled materials whenever possible. I believe that that, for me, is where sustainable living begins, is looking at the resources that you have and utilizing them first before causing more fossil fuels to be consumed or more mining to be done. Look at what we've got. All the clothes I wear are from charity shops and I'm not ashamed of it. I feel proud of that fact. My generation have consumed enough. We need to really cut back and appreciate what we've got a lot more and recognize the fact that, gosh, our parents and grandparents lived a lot more simply and we can too. Quite difficult in a way, isn't it? Because we're talking about you know big stuff, the planet, the future. Yeah, yeah. And actually how you bring it back to your own simple actions. Oh, but yeah. you help people on that and you give talks, don't you? I do. Of course. We, we, we need to think globally but act locally. <laughs> and I try to do that here in Rye. I was invited by the Quakers to organise a sustainable living forum recently. And I decided to refine it and work it into a talk that I can present to other groups. Uh, presently, I've got the Women's Institute interested and got the Rother Environmental Group of Book Me. And I, I'd like to offer it to any organizations that would like to hear from someone who is passionate about sustainable living and has a few tips I can share. So how do people get in touch about that and the juggling? Drop me an email at alohajuggler at gmail.com. Brilliant, Graham. It's superb to talk to you. Should we go and do some juggling? Yeah, let's do this, James. It'd be a pleasure. Thanks to Graham. All the contact details are on the website. More real-life stories about our town next time on Rycast. And the next podcast is going to be a noisy one. Here's a bit of a clue. Remember to subscribe. It's Rycast on Apple and Spotify. Rycast Sussex on social media and loads of previous episodes to enjoy at rycast.org. Talk soon.